Hello and welcome to the All Time Chatter Podcast. Today we will be moving into the Reykjavik Confession. So the Guamundor and Girfenor case is also known as the Reykjavik Confession. This is the case which concerned the disappearance of Guamundor Inorsen and Girfenor Inorsen in 1974 in Iceland. Six people were convicted of the Allied murders on the basis of confessions extracted by the police after intense and lengthy interrogations. Despite the lack of bodies of the murder victims, witnesses or any forensic evidence. In later years, most Icelanders believe the six were wrongfully convicted. On 27th of September 2018, 44 years after the disappearance of Guamondor and Gerfenor, the Supreme Court of Iceland acquitted five of the six original suspects. So how did this all happen and what actually happened? Let's deep dive into this case. So, on the night of 26th of January 1974, Guamondor Inorsen, an 18-year-old laborer, was walking back from the community hall in Hafnar Fajar to his home 10 kilometers away. He was last seen by a motorist after he nearly fell in front of a vehicle and has not been seen since. Ten months later, on 19th of November 1974, Gerfenor Inorsen, a 32-year-old construction worker unrelated to Guamondor, received a phone call while at home and drove a short distance to the Harbour Cafe in Keflavik. He left the keys in the ignition but failed to return to the car. Extensive searches around the harbour and coast did not find a body. And although the police in Iceland are regularly informed of people who disappear in snowstorms without motive witnesses, forensic evidence or bodies, a murder inquiry was opened. The Icelandic police were under intense public media and justice pressure to solve these cases. So, according leading to the investigations and prosecutions, we can see that the six suspects, Sevor Sisilski, Christian Vior Viorson, Tirgivi Lunar Lefson, Albert Klan Skafson, Guajon Sharkpeon Nissen, and Erla Boladotter, eventually signed confessions to murder, even though they had no clear memory of committing the crimes. They had been kept in isolation, interviewed and length, under pressure with little contact allowed with their lawyer. They were given drugs, mogadon diazepin and chloropromazine, and subjected to sleep deprivation and water torture. Particularly the alleged ring leader, Sevar Sizilski, who had a fear of water. He also said that the drugs which were supposed to help him sleep had affected his memory. The suspects said that they signed the confession in order to put an end to their solitary confinement. For example, Ella Boladator was held in solitary confinement for 242 days. Two were kept under solitary confinement for over 600 days, one of whom Tirgivi Runar Lefsen for 655 days, the longest solitary confinement outside of the Guatnamo Bay detention camp. 
Sevas Silki was kept in custody for a total of 1053 days. It was 1,533 days, just for my correction. So, in 1976, Inar Bolasin, the chairman of the Iceland Basketball Federation, sat innocent for 105 days in solitary confinement along with Magnus Leopoldsen, Valdemir Olsen and Sigur Burchon Eriksson after Inor's half-sister Ella Boledator and other suspects has implicated them in the case. So Sivar Marino, Christian Vior and Tirgivi Runar were convicted for killing Guamondor while Albert Klan were convicted for helping to hide the body. Seva Marino, Christian Vior and Guajon were later convicted for killing Gerfinol Inorsen while Orla Bedator was convicted of perjury after she implicated her half-brother and others in the disappearance. So the aftermath state that in a speech in Alfingi in 1998, the Prime Minister of Iceland, Davio, heavenly criticized the investigation and prosecution of the case after the Supreme Court of Iceland ruled that it could not rehear the case. In 2018, it was revealed that Davio had given severe financial support and advice to help him the case reheard. Tirgivi Runar died in 2009 after battling cancer, while Sevar Sisilski died after an accident in Denmark in 2011. The case was made public in a BBC radio program in May 2014, which discussed the apparent memory implantation. Professor Jesse Guan Johnson, a former Icelandic detective and internationally renowned expert on suggestibility and false confessions, investigated this case and concluded, I have worked on miscarriages of justice in many different countries. I have testified in several countries, hundreds of cases I have done, big cases. I had never come across any case where there has been such intense interrogation, so many interrogation and such lengthy solitary confinement. I mean, I was absolutely shocked when I saw that. Most Icelanders came to believe the case had been a bad miscarriage of justice and the BBC described it as one of the most shocking miscarriages of justice Europe has ever witnessed. So, in 2013, an official police investigation report was handed to the Office of the State Prosecutor. On the 24th of February 2017, the Interior Ministry Rehearing Committee concluded that the case of Sevar Sisilski, Christian Vior and Viorsen, Tirgivi Runal Leffelsen, Albert Klan Skafesson, and Guajon Sharpen should be rehired by the Supreme Court of Iceland. However, the committee did not recommend a retrial for Ella Boladator's Prichori case. In February 2018, the state prosecutor requested that the Supreme Court acquit Sevar, Christian, Tirgivi, Albert, Skefsen, Guojon, and Erla. On 27th of September 2018, the Supreme Court acquitted all five men but did not reverse Ella's conviction. So, the media documentary was directed by Dylan Howitt called Out of Thin Air was released in 2017.
The film was inspired by the BBC program, an Icelandic film called Imagine Murder, was being made about the case in 2017. Directed by Igor Orn Igelson, the film was scheduled to premiere in 2019. So, according to the reports which were published by the BBC, they said that there were rumours that Gerfenor had been involved in illegal alcohol smuggling but the police could not find any evidence relating to this case. So, an extensive search was made of Keflavik Harbour, the rocked coastline and the desolate lava fields of the wreck giants. But there was no trace of Gerfenor. The inquiry focused on the man who had phoned him from the cafe in Keflavik Harbor. A nationwide hunt was launched to find him, but even in this tiny nation of fewer than 300,000 people, he could not be found. After months of effort, there was still no body, no forensic evidence, and no witnesses. In the summer of 1975, the investigation was wound down. There was an added impetus for the investigators to solve these disappearances. So, in 1968, the police had bungled the investigation into the shooting dead of a taxi driver. Veteran detective Snorri Mangunson says it bugged the police. That case has never been solved and it was still very fresh in everyone's memory. So, the police were under enormous pressure to solve these disappearances. In the bars of South Iceland, Gerfenor's case lived on, a source for conspiracy and wild rumours. The police were listening to, they heard a rumour about a petty criminal who the world's went knew something about the disappearances. It wasn't just his Polish name that made Saver stand out. His long dark hair and almost Gaulish good looks set him apart from the pale Icelanders. The police certainly knew the slight young man. He was a small-time crook who had been caught importing cannabis from Denmark. He had until now kept out of prison. In December 1975, nearly two years after the first disappearance, Sevar's luck ran out. Police investigation and unrelated minor crime came to his tiny apartment and they arrested Sevar and his girlfriend Erla, taking them both away from the 11-week-old daughter. So, when Ella was in custody, she owned up to the crime. She was about to leave the interrogation room when the police suddenly produced a photo of a handsome boy with long hair. She recognized him at once from a school disco several years earlier. She said, I remember him as he liked me that evening. He was good looking. We had a pleasant chat and I was flattered. The body in the photograph was Gunmunder in Orson. It has been clear why so long after Gunmunder's disappearance, the police began asking Ella about it. She remembered that night he had gone missing though. It wasn't just the bitter cold, the snow or the party. She had been dragged too and could not wait to leave. That had been the evening she had the nightmare, in which she heard Sevar and his friends whispering outside her window. When she told her interrogators about this, they latched onto it. Maybe they thought it had not been a dream. Perhaps she had witnessed something traumatic, the aftermath of a mother. She remembers, she remembers the head of the investigation becoming very intense, getting right up into her face. We are going to help you recall everything. You will not be able to leave here until you tell us what happened to Gudmundar Inarsen. It was no ideal threat. Arla was warned that for serious crimes, there was no limit to the time she could be held in confinement. 
Alone in a cell that night, Ella could not sleep. She kept trying to work out what was real and what was her imagination. One thought kept running to her. Is it possible they killed someone in the apartment and saw the whole thing and cannot remember? During the following days, there were long interviews, without a lawyer being present. Her interrogators were generally pleasant and helpful, saying they wanted to unlock her memories. She was just desperate to get out of there and get back to her baby. After one interview, which went on for more than 10 hours, the police prepared a statement which Orla signed, saying she had seen Sevar and three of his friends with a body wrapped in a bedsheet, the body of Gunmundar in Orson. Orla was convinced strongly it turned out the statement would be dismissed as nonsense. When he was presented with it, Sevar suddenly admitted he might have been known something about the death of Gunmundar. He started talking, admitting his part and going on to implicate his closest friends. First was Christian Vidor, a big man with a reputation as a tough guy. So Christian had a series of temporary jobs and had a police records for drugs, offenses and burglary. The second of Sevar's name was Tirgivi Runar, a very physical man. He was someone to be avoided when he had been drinking and was for a fight. Like Christian, Tirgivi drifted in and out of seasonal work and had served time jail for pretty crimes. Christian and Tirgivi were no strangers to prison, but this time it was a different matter. This was a murder case and after their arrest, they were kept in isolation, where their only human contact was with their interrogators. They were told if they refused to cooperate, the solitary confinement would be extended from weeks to months and that it could go on for years. After several weeks of continuous lengthy interrogation, Christian and Tirgivi admitted killing Gudmundar in a fight over payment for a battle of spirits. Bottle of spirits. So the final accomplice, Albert Klan Skafson, was a gentleman whose only previous contact with the police had been for cannabis possession. The sidekick of the group, he struggled to cope with isolation of the interrogation. He admitted to transporting Gunmundor's body to the lava field where it was hidden deep within one of the gaping cracks. So with the first disappearance apparently solved, the police began to wonder if Girfinor, the family man who had answered the mystery phone call, could be hidden in the lava too. There had been rumours that Sevar knew about this disappearance and had been saying Girfinor had a big mouth. A suspicion began to gnaw away at the handful of investigators in charge of the case that lurking within Iceland was an underground movement like the Manson family in America, responsible for the murderous spree, and that Sevar with his outside looks and long lank hair was its leader. The police knew that Ola was the best way to give to Sevar. Having implicated her boyfriend and his friends, she was fearful of reprisals. The police had befriended her, even helping her to move home. So one day, out of the blue, an officer asked Orla if Sevar might know something about the second disappearance. She responded, maybe. Her answer was enough to have the herd of the investigation turn up the door the next day. Orla recalls how he sat on her sofa and told her, 
We have reason to believe that you have experienced something traumatic concerning Gerfenor's disappearance and we are going to help you remember. It had worked for the police the first time, maybe it would work for us again. If Allah hoped that helping the office would get her out of trouble a second time, she was wrong. In January 1976, the police began questioning Sevar and his friends about Gerfenor's disappearance and soon she became a suspect. The climb stories kept changing. At first, Gerfenor had died after falling off a boat, then it had been from a fight on board a boat. It would take a year and a half to agree on a final version presented to the court. In this one, Gerfenor was killed on dry land among the empty rusting hulls of fishing boats perched on iron blocks surrounded by detroits of repairs. Walter Sigorsen, the prosecutor who led the inquiry into the disappearance, said he certain what went on that night. When Gerfenor could not deliver the booze, he was attacked. He was killed by mistake. He met these people and told them stories. He had alcohol and he could sell them. They got angry when he was bluffing. They didn't plan to kill him, but that's what happened. The investigators said Gerfenor's body had been taken to Reykjavik and hidden in the cellar of Christian's grandmother's house for several days, before being taken to the lava field where it was put in a shallow grave and burnt. By the summer of 1976, four suspects had been in solitary confinement for half a year inside the cramped cell of Zidmuli prison. Christian and Sevar had admitted to killing Griffoner along with the mysterious foreigner they kept mentioning. They had been joined in custody by Orla who was being treated as an accessory to Gerfenor's mother. Gisli, who was a young detective, noticed that despite the confession, there was a growing irritation among the officers on the case who wanted hard evidence. The police officers were really frustrated that they were not getting anywhere. These people were not cooperating. They were being awkward. They were basically not doing what they should be doing, opening up, helping them to find the bodies and help them to incriminate themselves more. In August 1976, the Iceland government brought a super cop from Germany called Skuts. He had taken on and broken the Bedar Menhof gang, a 1970s urban guerrilla group, so surely he could sort out straightforward killings. He set up a task force of 10 officers, a third of Icelandic detective squad. They began looking for the foreigner whose Sevar and Christian had implicated in the killing. Could he have led the group on the night of Gerfenor's mother? The search brought them to Gunjon Sharkfinson a 32-year-old former teacher. With his dark hair and swarthy looks, he had always stood out and was disarmed for in a nickname which would implicate him. Gunjun had embarked the 1970s with an easy-going attitude to drugs, so much so that he led Sevar, a former pupil of his smuggled drugs into Iceland, using his car. The police believed Sevar had called on him again to drive to Keflavik to meet and killed Gerfenor. So Gunjon was not like the other suspect. He liked and respected the police and really wanted to solve the case. So to help the nation, he recalls the police telling him, 
I was the only one who knew all about it and could tell the truth about it. I was the one. He wanted to help but for whatever reasons his memory was fuzzy. He could not remember what he was doing in November 1974 or indeed for much of that year. For decades on Gunjon Seskal's goods, he was a priest and a psychologist. You should confess because you will feel better afterwards. There's a burden taken off your shoulder if you confess. Tell us the truth and you will feel better forever. It was his philosophy and he got very far with it. So Carl's goods was convicted, Gutchon and the other five suspects in custody were guilty. Now he had to get them to give detailed consistent confession of exactly what had happened. So according to the confessions, the interrogation rooms above Rajavik old prison is stark white bars on the window a desk and a few chairs for four months it was the only room orla saw apart from her cramped isolation cell now 40 years on the feisty girl is a grandmother in her 50s in black clothes and with fashionably cut blonde hair it is hard to believe she is one of iceland's most notorious criminals Revisiting the scene of her interrogations, she walks into the room slowly, certain it is the same chunky wooden desk where the German detective sat across from her. Over her time in custody, she had told him she knew something about the Gerfenor case. He presented her with the final piece of the jigsaw, what they had done with Gerfenor's body. Schutz was convicted, it had been put in Ola's ran blower. taken to the red lava field where a grave had been dug the body had been burned while ola stood by and watched it being done should slant over the desk and told if you sign the report you have a chance of being re- released she recalls she said i lost control at one point ashtrays and coffee cups and books and i threw everything and went burst until they held me after this outburst she capitulated She signed a confession telling how she had disposed of the body. When she was arrested, she had been suffering from postnatal depression. She was desperate to get back to her child who was by now a toddler. After months in confinement, the timid girl decided saying yes was easier than holding out. So, where was the body? Ola said, "We would all be walking across all these rocks and asked, could it have been here and I was just going well maybe, I don't know." To try to find the body, Ola was taken out to the lava fields, sometimes on her own and sometimes with Saber. We would all be walking across these rocks and asked, could it have been here? So on December 8, 1976, he was the last to confess to the killing of Girfinor in Orson. He recalls, I was asked, were you in the yard of Keflavik that particular night? And I said, yes. I was that is my confession all six had now confessed to the involvement in the two murders after an investigation which had lasted more than a year there was however no physical evidence and the suspects memories were hazy yet they had all told police and signed statements that they had either killed Gerfenor and Guamondor or helped dispose of their bodies with the last of the confession things moved very quickly On the 2nd of February 1977 the minister of justice said the nation's nightmare was over Carl Scott announced that the killers of Gerfenor and Guamondor had been found 
Kalskuts told the press conference the crimes had been committed by a small group of petty criminals who used every opportunity that could to get their hands on money. It is beyond a reasonable doubt, as we criminals experts like to put, that it's safe to assume it's an open and shut case, he told the reporters. Schutz had been quite so confident a few weeks earlier when he thought the case had been thrown into a geopardy. So, on December 1977, two years after the first arrest, the court delivered its verdict. Seva Sazilski was given the harshest sentence, life for the two mothers. The five other suspects were given sentence ranging from 12 years for Good John to three for Ola. So, I would like to end this deep dive into the Rajavik confession case in here. I hope you liked it. We will be tuning in next time. Thank you. Have a good day.